So I'm excited today because I get to hear um, one of my, I don't know, I would say like when you become an adult, you get like people who are like kind of mentors pretty quickly, um, hopefully. And um, a lot of times those first kind of few people are very formative, right? And in my life, Taka was a person who, I went to Master's Commission in Rockford, Illinois, and he was, I think, the first year, I don't actually remember what he did. Second year, he was, no, he's a second year discipleship director, something. Anyway, he was around a lot and he liked Apple stuff. And so eventually, you know, like I had a, that connection because I did a lot of web stuff and design stuff. Um, but not only that, um, he loved God and um, he walked out in front of the students and in front of me. And he's a person who I'm really happy to introduce to you guys today. He's planting a church out in um, a we know a very tough place to plant a church, Orange County, California. So give a hand today for Taka Gucci. All right. Hey, well, good morning. Oh. Oh. Do you want? I blew it. What are you supposed to do? This is me. I was supposed to say, slide. This. Um, we would love to um, actually give um, a blessing to what you guys are doing. So um, if you would like to text to give or in the app, you can, um, at the, you can do it now. You can do it at the end of service. You can do it as God leads you. You can even probably do it midweek. But we want you guys to be thinking if God would put it on your heart to bless what God's doing in Southern California. We know it's a really challenging place to plant churches. We're in New England. We understand what they're going through. So if you want to give, all you got to do is, it's 84321. Just text a money amount, say five to voice or $10,000 to voice. And, it, and also in the app. So there we are. Yeah, that too. There's an offering at the end. Bye. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. Awesome. Hey, uh, want to just say thanks for we've been able to spend this weekend with the team. It's been just. Uh, just a really good time. You got to know that it's been pretty wild. You know, when I was in Rockford, this little town outside of Chicago, there's been a, quite a few people that have come from this church over the years. And it's, it's, uh, you would think it was a church of 10,000 by how many sharp leaders, young adults came through. And so you got to know that you guys are having an influence all around uh, the nation, all around the world, just what we've seen uh, in our small uh, snapshot. It's been really fun to see a church live out some of our values uh, for my wife and I to have a church that really blesses the community. That isn't just a come see what we're doing, come to our event, but hey, we want to go into the community and we want to be a blessing to the place God has sent us. And so thank you for being an encouragement to us. Uh, I want to introduce you to my wife. She's my better half. So babe, if you want to stand up, this is Natalie. Uh, and today is a, uh, a special day for her. Today is her birthday. So she's going to love this. Could you stand up so we can sing happy birthday to you? And this one makes it all the better because she hates attention. So baby, you got to stand up. And would you help me sing happy birthday to you? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Natalie. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> so today we are celebrating her uh, 14th anniversary of her 21st birthday. 
We're really excited about that. So uh, yeah, like, like Jason was talking about, her, my wife and I, our family actually uh, is uh, planting a church in Orange County, California, which uh, I know when you first hear like, right, sure, Orange County, palm trees. And here's what, let me give you a few stats about Orange County, specifically the area that we're planting in, in a town called Tustin. Uh, it's about 8% churched. Uh, so it's effectively post-Christian. Actually, we have friends of ours that our church plant supports missionaries uh, down to the uh, Amazon basin in Ecuador. And they reach unreached people groups. I've actually taken trips down there. Uh, and it's essentially, think you're National Geographic. Like we were trading t-shirts for wooden spears. Okay, not at like the, the tourist trap, but actually with uh, the individuals. You got heard like Jim Elliott? That, that same Alka Indians, right? So same tribes. We have friends that are reaching indigenous people in the Amazon basin, and they have a higher church rate than Orange County does. That's, that's a fact. That's true. So it's effectively post-Christian. What's interesting is it's also young. The area we're reaching is uh, 80% Gen X or younger. The largest demographic is millennial, and by and large, we're losing them. Uh, and if you look at the Gen Z, the generation after Gen X, a church is not even on their radar. And so uh, we want to along with a bunch of other great churches in the area, do something about it. Uh, if you want, afterwards, there is, uh, we brought a bunch of these. Uh, there's little trifolds. I give you some of the vision. Um, yeah, just some of the visions. You can uh, have some of the stats portable. If you can be praying for us, uh, so many of the things that have gotten us to this far have been God miracles that are just, it's obvious the hand of God so much so that Many times we've gotten on the radar of the mayor, of the director of Parks and Rec, and they're like, we don't know how you guys have done X, Y, and Z, but and we're like, it's a miracle. God is in this. And it's really perking their ears to the point where the city uh, actually emailed me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, we could, could the city make a donation to your church? And so, and I'm like, I've never been asked that before, but here's the website. Yeah, sure. Uh, so God is doing something. All that to say, it's because people pray. So if you uh, want more information, there's a table somewhere and grab one of these trifolds, put it up on your fridge or something. Please pray for us. We really mean that. That's not like pray for us and give. No, seriously, pray for us uh, because it's, people will give. That's, that's, God will, will resource it. We need people that will pray. Uh, there's a lot of organizations that have money in Orange County. Uh, we want to be one that uh, has prayer support behind us. And it's one of, our, one of our dreams is to have 500 prayer support. So yeah, please pray for us. Uh, yeah, so what, and it's another thing to pray for is they call that area the church planter's graveyard. Yeah, literally. Church planter organizations call it the church planter's graveyard. So it's a really encouraging place to pray uh, so, uh, or to, to plant, but we're excited about it. We know God has called us. And what's interesting is the people that, that a lot of church planter organizations say are unreachable uh, has not been our experience. And a bunch of our launch team, the people helping us launch the church, are individuals that we've met at the gym uh, or just around in community uh, that have become believers, baptized, led, brought into leadership, and are now on the launch team. So it's been very cool. All right, so here's what we're talking about this morning. We're not talking about Voice Church. We're not talking about, I think my wife has done, uh, being highlighted. Uh, so we're going to go into what I hopefully will be a helpful teaching. And here's kind of the whole gist of it, is that the, for the first 18 years of your life or so, uh, decisions are pretty linear. They're pretty, pretty simple, pretty clear-cut. I don't know if you're in middle school or high school in this room, you're going, this not, nah, my life is super complicated and you're emo and I get it. But the thing is, once you get into your 20s and past that, it gets way more complicated than what table do I sit at at lunch and you know, who do I go to homecoming with. I promise you, it gets way more complicated and the stakes go way up. And the thing is, 
after, I mean, in the seasons, 20s, 30s, 40s, when you're making some of the most critical decisions of your life, a few factors are at play. One, you don't really have a whole lot of clarity. Now more than ever, you have a bunch of clutter in the midst of having to make these decisions. You don't have clarity. The other thing is God doesn't text or email last time I checked. I, would, I mean, so many times I've prayed, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Just which door? Which thing do I do? And a lot of times God is silent. And it's easy to confuse God's silence for his absence. And it's easy to see inactivity and think that God maybe isn't active. Because there's times in our life when God will feel like he's alive and he's right there with you. There's times when you pray and he feels like he's right next to you. And there's other times when that is not the case at all. And actually, you're going to look back at seasons where he felt so close and you wonder if they were even real. Or remember when you're, or maybe you're in a season like that and you're sitting in worship like the worship session we just had and you're looking across the room, seeing people raise their hands and having a moment. Maybe they're crying and you're going, is that even real? And if that is real, what am I doing wrong? And I know it's weird to talk about that kind of stuff at church, but it's, if we were to see in our heart of hearts, it would be true. Or maybe you feel like, maybe you feel like I've made all these good decisions all these years, but has it even mattered? I'm not saying that right becomes wrong and good becomes bad and bad becomes good, but if you were honest, you would wonder, does it even matter anymore? Because sometimes I make right decisions and it doesn't do anything, and their friend makes all sorts of dumb decisions and they get the promotion. So what do you do? What do you do when it seems like God is a million miles away? What, is, what do you do when it seems like God is inactive? What do you do when God is silent? What do you do when all the emotions melt away? In other words, what do you do when you don't know what to do? And in that context, we're going to dive into the story of Joseph. Joseph, and for those of you guys that may be new to church, this isn't Joseph like Jesus's stepdad, for lack of better words. Uh, Different Joseph. This is Joe from the Old Testament, Technicolor Dreamcoat Joe, right? So Joseph had a bunch of brothers. He was one of the younger ones. Uh, and like a, like a normal younger brother, he kind of spout off at the mouth a lot. And he was, uh, well, he was kind of annoying little brother. And he was dad's favorite. And everyone knew he was dad's favorite, right? He's the one who got the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And there was one day when Joseph had a dream about his brothers bowing down to him right? And like a good younger sibling, he kept it to himself. No, no. He told his brothers, hey, I had this dream. You're all going to bow down to me. It looks like you're worshiping me. I don't know, but you, I think that's kind of what's going down. And so uh, the brothers love that, right? And there was one day uh, when the brothers all took off uh, uh, before Joe left the house and Joe's wondering where they are. He ended up catching, ends up catching up with them and they are off in the distance uh, plotting to kill Joseph as brothers do, apparently. And they make this wise decision. They decide, let's not kill Joseph. Let's just throw him in this pit, right? I guess better, uh, but I wouldn't say good, right? So they throw him in this pit. And what's interesting is it's the first time we get a glimpse into Joseph's character, right? And it's the Bible says that when Joseph was in the pit, he was praying. Now, here's the thing. We have two kids, two girls, 10 and 12 years old. If our 12-year-old threw our 10-year-old into a pit, I could see that happening, all right? Uh, and I don't know if the 12-year-old would, would be completely wrong in every situation. But that aside, uh, if our 10-year-old was in the pit, uh, she would be saying a lot of words, uh, but I don't know if they would be prayers, right? So 
Joseph is in the pit and he's praying and they decide, you know, instead of killing him, instead of leaving him in the pit, let's sell him. Let's sell our little brother to Ishmaelite traders. And Ishmaelite traders traded all sorts of things, including people. And so Ishmaelites take Joe and they take him 300 miles away to Egypt and auction him off as a slave. So you got to put yourself in Joseph's shoes. He's 17 years old, roughly. He's 300 miles away from home, which in today's day and age, for any 17-year-old is a long ways away. In that day and age, might as well have been on a different planet. So now you have Joseph that used to have slaves. He was a part of a wealthy family. He used to have slaves, and now he is a slave. He ends up getting purchased by Potiphar, who was a captain of the Pharaoh's guard. Think uh, leader of the secret service, all right, for the leader of the nation. And then we read this in Genesis 39. It says, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was a captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of the Egyptian master. Now, I, don't want, you, I want you to really hone in on one line there, and you're going to hear me say this over and over and over again today, and you're going to get so annoyed, and I'm fine with that, but my, my hope is that it gets written in granite in your heart. There's this one line that says, the Lord was with Joseph. Okay, here's why that's a big deal. Because if we were to look at the circumstances that Joseph is in, he was uh, put into a pit, sold into slavery by his brothers. His dad thinks he's dead. His brothers faked his death. He's like, literally, they mourned, had a funeral, the whole deal for him. He's 300 miles away, a slave scared, alone. If we didn't know, if he didn't, if the author didn't put the Lord was, was, was with Joseph, we'd assume by his circumstances that the Lord was not with Joseph. Because in our own lives, we tend to think all these things are going really well. The Lord is with me, hashtag blessed, right? If all these things are going bad, well, the Lord must not be with me. But maybe, maybe when times are going bad or when times are going good, God is with you. Maybe your circumstances have nothing to do with whether God is with you or not. Another way to think about it is this. When you, this is why I have a hard time with prosperity gospel, that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise and retire on the front porch of some ranch on 30 acres somewhere. Is because the leaders of the early church, nearly all of them were executed. So if you're watching John get boiled alive, he wouldn't be telling you, healthy, wealthy, and wise. God always rescues you. Sometimes he doesn't. We say things like, it always works out. Sometimes it doesn't. But we always know this, God is always in charge, and God is always with us. So anyways, we'll keep going. So it says this, author is saying, you don't know the rest of the story. So it goes on, he says, uh, verse five, two verses later, he says, the Lord blessed Potiphar's household. It says, from the day Joseph was put in charge of the master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. I got an idea. If I'm Joseph, I'm not glad that Potiphar's household is blessed because of my faithfulness. I got an idea. Why not bless me for my faithfulness? Right? Why you're, you're gonna you're gonna bless the guy who bought me because of my faithfulness? You're gonna bless a pagan man because of my faithfulness? So what did Joseph do? And this is key. What did Joseph do in this situation? Well, Joseph did what any of us would do. 
Joseph did what any 17-year-old who was left for dead, sold into slavery, brought 300 miles away, someone else being blessed for his faithfulness. Joseph did what any of us would do if they really believed God was with them. Joseph did what any of us would do in his situation if they were confident God was with them. So what happens? Joe gains favor, becomes Potiphar's right hand, not just a slave, kind of chief servant. And then two verses later, in verse 7, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. All right, it says this, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And a lot of the guys in the room, we get it, right? That's, that's like looking in a mirror, right? So Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to lust, look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held nothing back from me except for you. Because, you know, duh, you're his wife. How can I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Okay, there's a lot to unpack here. But essentially, Joseph's in an impossible situation, right? Kind of darned if you do, darned if you don't. He, if he sleeps with her, he's going to get found out and get in trouble. If he doesn't sleep with her, we'll find out he gets in trouble. And most average guys in Joseph's situation would go, all right, if it's a catch-22, might as well make some memories, right? Really, that's what I think most guys would do. Okay, and before we give Joseph too much credit here, can I just, and hope I don't offend anybody, and if I do, it doesn't matter, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving to go back to the West Coast tomorrow, uh, but before we, we put, give Joseph too much credit, I just want to put this out there, we don't know what Potiphar's wife looked like. Okay, so this could have been a very easy decision, all right? Just, you know, Joseph could have been like, prison, I'm fine. Like, let's take me to prison. That would be better. Okay, so, all right, so, but Joseph is in an impossible situation, right? But he says the weirdest thing, and we'll catch this over and over again. Joseph says the weirdest things. He says this at the end, it would, how can I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God, how weird is that, right? Because you would think he would say, you know, Potiphar's wife, whatever your name is, uh, <laughs> harlot, uh, it's <laughs> desperate housewives. Like, it would be a great sin against you, a great sin against me, great sin against, I don't know, your husband, a great sin against Pharaoh. It'd be, no, against God. And if I'm Potiphar's wife, my response is, oh, that God? who left you for dead, sold you into slavery, your dad thinks you're dead, let your brothers get away with it, that God, the God who lets you be my slave, that God. So <laughs> when you understand, though, who you live for, you understand who you sin against. You don't sin against your boss or your spouse, you sin against God. When you understand who you live for, you understand what your source is. This is why we need a financial miracle in the next like month and a half. Yeah, month and a half uh, to launch our church where we're dead in the water, right? I sleep okay. Well, actually, I don't sleep okay, but for other reasons. Nothing to do with the church. I just, my brain doesn't shut off. That's a whole other issue. I think I just need to run or something. So, but when you understand who you live for, you understand who your source is. So when circumstances don't look right, you're okay. Because you know God is in charge. When you understand who you live for, you understand whose applause matters the most. 
You understand whose judgment matters the most. That's why it, it doesn't matter if everyone is for you, but he isn't. That's why it doesn't matter if, if you know, that's why you're at peace when everyone is, uh, seems like they're against you, but God is with you. See, this is where Joseph could have gone away. This is where Joseph could have gone. It doesn't matter what I do, right? What's God going to do to me? Sell me into slavery? Beat me? Leave me for dead? Make me alone? Like, what's God going to do? Isolate me? What does it even matter anymore? And there's a day coming when you're going to go through the same thing. Does it even matter if I'm faithful to God? Because I've been faithful for five years, 10 years, 15 years. And where has it gotten me? So Joseph does the right thing, and he runs off. And for his faithfulness, he's thrown into Pharaoh's dungeon. And so we pick it up there. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story, which was a lie, about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, which makes sense. And there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord gave Joseph favor with the prison warden. Okay, side note, uh, if you are friends with a prison warden, uh, that your life is probably not going on a good path. Okay, you shouldn't have favor with a prison warden. You shouldn't know a prison warden. Okay, unless you go to church together and you're in your same small group or something like that. Like, you shouldn't really uh, have favor with a prison warden. Uh, but it says, that's line again. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Again, why? What is the author trying to tell us here? Because again, if you were to look at Joseph's circumstances, you would assume the Lord was not with Joseph. But Joseph didn't see it that way. He didn't let his circumstances dictate how he viewed God. But the reality is, if you were to ask Joe in that situation, this is not how Joseph would have written God's story of faithfulness in his life. Right? And it doesn't get much better for a while. And a lot of times our lives don't look like what we would have written. Relationships end or don't start. Sicknesses stay instead of going. We have drama in our lives that maybe you created and maybe you didn't. Jobs were lost. Promotions never came. Other people get applause, but you don't. Things don't always work out. A lot of times they do. A lot of times they don't. But what did Joe do in this situation as he's sitting in prison for doing the right thing yet again? What does Joseph do? He did what anybody would do. In his situation, he had the attitude that any of us would have in his situation. If we were confident, God was with us. So maybe our greatest challenge in the Christian life isn't to go to church more. Maybe our greatest challenge isn't to fill in the spiritual discipline. Maybe our greatest challenge is to ask the question, what would someone do in my situation if they were confident God was with them? What would someone do with my calling, with my resources, my life, with my age, with my hair color, with my relationships, with my job? What would someone do in my situation who was confident God was with them? All of a sudden, humility comes in. Boldness comes in. Right? Generosity comes in. So, one day, Joseph is hanging out with the baker uh, and the... Uh, cupbearer. And they tell him his dreams or their dreams, right? And he interprets them. 
And so, because he's done this before with his whole brother's bowing down on him thing, right? And so for the baker, he goes, hey, this is not going to work out for you in three days. Sorry. And it happened, right? And then the cupbearer tells him Joseph's his story. And he goes, hey, in a few days, you're actually going to be restored back to the right hand of Pharaoh. And he asks one request. He says, just don't forget me, right? Don't forget me. Remember me. Like he goes cocoa on him, right? He says, remember me, right? And then two verses later, no, I think it's literally the next verse, verse 23, says, and the cupbearer forgot Joseph. You ever feel like God forgot you? You prayed the right things, you did the right things, you made the right choices, you fasted, and then nothing. Like you pulled all the right levers that they tell you to pull, and then no payoff. God was silent, but he was absent. And just because you don't see things happening doesn't mean nothing's happening. And just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it doesn't make sense from a higher perspective. And just because you can't interpret the circumstances doesn't mean there's not a divine interpretation. And so what happens is for two years, the cupbearer is enjoying the fulfillment of Joseph's interpretation. For two years, the cupbearer is living the good life at the right hand of Pharaoh and forgot the one request Joseph had. But see, God was working. God needed those two years because God was positioning Joseph to bring his family to Egypt, to make his family into a great nation that would be redeemed unto the promised land and eventually bring forth the Messiah and restore mankind. That we're here today as a result of his, what God was doing in that season. Now, here's the problem with that. God didn't tell Joseph any of it. Do you know what it looked like to Joseph? Monday morning, still in prison. Seriously? That's what it looked like. This doesn't make any sense. God, where are you? God, why aren't you following the timeline I'd sent you? Don't you know you're supposed to be my little genie that does what I want? I prayed. I read the devotional. I gave, I served. So that means that you need to do this for me, right? I need to reap when I want to reap. I know none of you pray that kind of stuff, but I know people that do, right? So Joseph passes the test of poverty, temptation, fear, being abandoned, being forgotten. And then Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh has a dream that none of his people can interpret. And he asks his people, hey, do you guys know anybody that can interpret dreams? <laughs> and then the cupbearer goes, I know a guy. Literally, I know a guy. So they, they get Joseph, and he's been in prison for two years, so he's not looking that great, right? And they clean him up, and they put him in front of Pharaoh. Now, here's what you need to know about Pharaoh. The pharaohs believed they were gods, right? Watch the History Channel. Watch what they did, right? And so you have children that were pharaohs that would just execute people because they wanted. So they weren't super great guys uh, for the most part. Uh, they were kind of intoxicated with their power. And the thing was, they had a lot of power. And so they bring Joseph in front of Pharaoh, the guy that could change his life or kill him in a moment, and he would forget about it five minutes later. So Pharaoh says, can you interpret my dream? And if any of us were in Joseph's situation, we go, yeah. Uh, I interpreted a dream uh, with uh, my brothers. It's still going to happen one day. I really think it will, but I interpreted that dream. Uh, remember the, the baker? He killed him. Called it, right? Totally called it. Cupbearer called it. He forgot. That's on him, but called that one too, right? 
I got this. What do you got? Lay it on me. He doesn't respond like that. He responds in the weirdest way. But he responds like we would expect from responding. He says this, it is beyond my power to do this. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. You don't say God when you're talking to someone who thinks they're God. You know what I mean? People in power don't like to be demoted. They don't like their uppercase G to turn into a lowercase G. Right? So he says, hey, it's beyond my power to do this. And you know when he's saying that, the cupbearer is like, hey, ixnay on that whole thing. You've done this. Say you can do this or else I'm going to be back in prison with you, right? That's a stupid thing to tell Pharaoh unless, unless you believe God was with you. And if you really believe God was with you, what else would you say, right? If you really believe that your gifting and your talent came from God and he was with you, empowering you right now, what else would you say? You couldn't be cocky because you know it's not you. So his interpretation, seven good years, seven bad years. And not only interpretation, God gives him a plan. Says for the seven years, store up extra. Don't eat everything you have, store up extra because there will come a a famine. And during times of famine, you can get more power without spilling a drop of blood. Because when times of famine, when people's nations are starving, they won't care about their weapons. They won't care about their gold. They'll care about grain. And they'll trade massive amounts of weapons, of gold, for food. And that's that's exactly what happens. He makes Pharaoh the most powerful man in the world. And in return, Pharaoh makes him number two. He makes Joseph his right hand. So the question is, what would you do with that much power, with that much wealth? Abraham Lincoln, may have heard of him. He said, uh, from Illinois, actually. Kind of. Uh, we claim him. But anyways, he, uh, he said that poverty reveals man's virtues. Poverty reveals man's virtues. And we, we see that, right? Anytime there's a natural disaster, the great things, and some crappy things in people come out too, but some great things in people come out. We see hero, hero stories and people being super generous and letting people into their homes and all that kind of stuff. He, but he goes on to say, he says, poverty reveals man's virtues, but prosperity, prosperity reveals man's vices. See, some people feel God when they're abandoned, sick, alone, fearful. And some people abandon God when they have power, wealth, and influence. Right? Let me give you a really dumb example. We've all been there. God, if you help me pass this test I didn't study for, I'll serve you the rest of my life. Right? God, help her to say yes, and I will serve you forever. Right? Maybe on a more serious one, God, heal my family member of this, you know, ailment. Right? And then the minute the, the crisis goes away, God, who? No, no, no. No, I earned this. No, I got this house, this job, this whatever. That was me. I worked. Su- I went to school. I, I was waking up at 5 a.m. No, that was me. It's amazing how quickly we forget God's providence. And you know the rest of the story. What ended up happening was uh, <laughs> Joe ruled how any man would rule if they believed God was with him. And eventually his brothers come because, you know, Israel was going through, going through a rough spell as well with the drought. So they come and there's a whole thing. You should read it. It's really good in Genesis for like 11 chapters. And then uh, eventually his dad dies, right? 
And when the dad dies, the brothers think now is when Joseph is going to rule over us. He was being nice to us because he didn't want to hurt dad's heart. But now that dad is dead, he is going to have judgment on us. And the brothers expected it. And the brothers, almost you always get the sense that they felt it was justified. That Joseph should kind of have judgment on us because we kind of messed him over, right? And so there's this pivotal moment where Joseph's up there and he's looking more Egyptian than he does Jewish at that point. He's looking a lot like Pharaoh uh, because he's literally been there for decades now as an Egyptian ruler. His brothers are all bowing in front of him, the fulfillment of the dream he had initially, and they're waiting for the sentence, the judgment. And Joseph finally speaks and he says this in Genesis 50 verse 19. Again, this is such a weird response. He says this, don't be afraid. Am I to judge instead of God? The other brothers are like, yeah, actually. That's exactly the situation. You are the one that's supposed to judge. He says, look, it's not my place. Even though you intended to harm me, God intended it only for good. And through me, he preserved the lives of countless people as he is still doing today. It's like, look, I didn't get it. You guys were totally jerks. I agree. But God was up to something. He didn't cause it, but he used it. He says, so don't worry. I'll provide for you myself for you and your children. So Joseph reassured them and continued to speak kindly to them. Why? Why would he do that? Because that's what any of us would do. That's what any of us would do. Respond with grace and love and kindness and humility. What any of us would do if we really understood God was with us. Because even the most hard-hearted, prideful, cocky Christian. If we were to put up on the screen all the stuff that God forgave them of, they wouldn't be prideful anymore. When you understand how good God has been to us, how patient and loving and kind, then how could we look at someone far from faith and give judgment and cockiness? So, let me ask you some questions. Do you know what God wants to accomplish through you? No. Do you know how many people God wants to influence through you? No. Do you know what hangs in the balance of your decision? No. So stop trying to control and manipulate and make it happen. The worship team wants to come up. That's how we're going to close. This is why when you don't know what to do, you don't ask, how do I feel? That's what we tend to do. How do I feel? I feel ticked. But you don't ask that question because how has that gone for you? Right? How has it ever helped you? Has that produced good things, the fruit of the Spirit, closeness with God, humility? Or has it produced bitterness and frustration and angst between you and other people and you and God? Right? You don't ask How do I feel? You don't ask, God, why are things this way? How has that gone for you? God, why can't things be different? Why couldn't my parents, why couldn't my bank account, why couldn't my spouse, my kids, my boss, my employees, why couldn't they be different? Why me, God? You don't ask why things can't be different. When you don't know what to do, you ask this simple question. What would someone do? In my situation, 
is they were completely confidence, confident God was with me. And I think the reality of it is, you know what to do. You know what to do. That if you were to imagine God with you, you know that you should forgive. If you know God is with you, you know you should listen. If you know God is with you, you know you should be more generous. You know you should be more patient. You know you should be bold as you walk into the dreams God has given you. You know you should whatever. If you just simply ask, what would someone do if they were confident that God was with them in my situations? You don't have to worry about someone else's responsibility, just your role. Because when you understand that God is with you, you don't get discouraged when things don't look right. When you understand that God is with you, you don't get discouraged when you feel forgotten. And when you understand that God is with you, you don't get cocky when you get some power or money. Here's the last question. God is with you. I think we've established that. So the question is this. Why not respond like it? Why not respond like it? Why not live like it? What if we, as this one church, one one faith community, what if we just did this? What if our spouse relationships, our close family, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, what if we we just simply decided to live as people who believe that God was with us? What would that look like? Matthew 28 says this, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll stay closer than a brother. Deuteronomy 31 verse 8 says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. In Psalm 23, even though I walk through a valley of deep darkness, I will not be afraid. Why? Because I know that you are with me. Let's pray. God, one more time, we just surrender to you. God, I pray, speak to us. For those of us in the room that have not uh, started a relationship with you, or if we were honest, we are not in a relationship with you right now, even though we may come to church regularly. God, we invite you into that conversation one more time. We surrender, all of us. Take a moment and say, God, whatever you want us to do, the answer is yes. Be close. And whether we feel you're close or not, We choose to believe you are because that's your promise. We won't let our circumstances or our emotions dictate reality. You are with us, and we decide to respond like that. Use us, God. Speak through us to bless people, to lead people to you, to make your purposes known in this area. Would heaven be more crowded because of the way we live? Would people feel loved, seen, and heard because of we live? And would your name be made famous because of the way we live? We do this all for you. In Jesus' name.